Good evening and welcome back to the All In Podcast. Pastor Tim Aiken here, pastor here at First Baptist Church, Douglasville. And again, the focus uh, for us this entire year is that we want to go all in with Jesus, with His church, and with His mission. And so on the All In Podcast, what we've been doing is taking what we're preaching on on Sunday mornings. We go a little bit deeper during the podcast on those discussions. And we've had discussions where it's just me. And then also we've had discussions where I've had lots of different co-hosts. Uh, with us on the podcast throughout this first season. Well, today, tonight, is the last episode of season one, episode 20. We're going to take a break for June and July. We'll come back in August sometime in the fall, start the All In podcast back. But right now, on Sunday mornings, we are preaching through a series on relationships. And the purpose of the series is to first know and then to pursue by obeying and following God's design for all of the relationships in our lives. And right now, uh, in those in that series on Sunday mornings, we're talking about the very most important human relationship, and that is the relationship of marriage, the relationship between a husband and a wife. We're talking about family. Well, what I want to do today is go even deeper on a specific subject that greatly impacts marriage, that greatly impacts the family, that impacts every single one of us. In fact, several years ago, in 2018, we did a series, a four-week series on Sunday mornings called Families Matter. And we were talking about marriage and family. And I did an entire series, or entire sermon, excuse me, on God's design for sexuality. I did that three years ago. And I've talked briefly about gender, and I've talked briefly about sexuality the last few weeks in this series on Sunday mornings. But what I want to do today, tonight, I want to jump head first into what is easily, if not clearly, the most controversial subject of our day, and that is the subject of sexuality. So I want to talk about what I talked about three years ago, and I want to go deep into this subject, a subject that is greatly impacting all of this, because this is not a subject that can be avoided. It is impacting us socially and politically, emotionally, physically, religiously, spiritually. This is a discussion is becoming a permanent fixture in our culture. And I would even argue to go further, it's becoming a discussion that is a permanent fixture in our homes and also in our churches. See, no matter what you have been taught or no matter what you believe about this subject, this subject cannot be avoided. This subject impacts you. It impacts your children. It impacts your grandchildren. It impacts your great-grandchildren, it impacts your co-workers, your neighbors, your teammates, your classmates, your nieces, your nephews. We all are impacted by the power of this subject. Therefore, if you are a Christian, you turn from your sins, you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. He's your Lord and Savior. You must know what you believe about the subject. You must know why you believe it about this subject. And then you must know how you're to live out these convictions because this is a very emotional and a very personal subject. Therefore, I would argue the very beginning of our time tonight, we must approach this subject in two ways. First is with clarity. We do this by simply asking the question, what does the Bible teach about sexuality? You know, we are often encouraged by our culture in the context in which we live to approach this subject based on emotion or tradition or experience or personal connection or what the culture around us says. 
But as we are to do with every single subject here at First Baptist Douglasville, as followers of Christ, they're going all in with Jesus' church and his mission. We must think about these things rightly. So we must ask the question, what does the Bible say? It must be our first, foremost, and final authority. So we must approach it with clarity. But number two, we must approach it with compassion. All people are made in the image of God. All people are loved by God. And the issue of sexuality is not about facts. It is about people. People that are loved by God. Therefore, if you're a Christian, people that should be loved by you. And so we have clarity, but we also have compassion. So tonight, we're going to look at a main passage of Scripture. If you're going to get your Bibles out, you can do that. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 8. This book was written as a letter by the Apostle Paul, the most influential Christian in church history. What he's doing in chapters 5 and in chapter 6 in this letter is he's addressing the sexual sin that was present in the church in Corinth, and he's instructing them on how they are to respond to this sexual sin. So this evening we will learn from 1 Corinthians 5 and also from 1 Corinthians 6 and some other passages of scriptures as well. We'll look at God's design for sexuality. So let me just jump in. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. We're going to read down to verse 8. The Apostle Paul writes these words under the inspiration of God's Holy Spirit. He says, It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. And here's what it is. A man has his father's wife, and you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. For though absent in body, I am present in spirit. And as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Here's why. So that his spirit may be saved in the day of our Lord. It is good for him to be held accountable for his sins so that he will repent and place his faith in Jesus. Verse 6, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. First thing I want us to see this evening related to this subject, number one, God has a design for sexuality. And God's design for sexuality, this includes gender and sex and family structure. Right out the gate in verse one, Paul says, it is actually reported. Some translations say it this way, everyone has Reported, meaning this is the reputation of this church, the church in Corinth in this original sin city. This is the reputation of the people of God. People are talking about you, and when they talk about you, here's what they say. He goes on in verse 1, that there is sexual immorality among you. This was taking place in the life of a church member, a man that was publicly declaring that he was a follower of, of Jesus, a man that was an active member of the church. And then Paul goes on in verse 1. He says, and it's of a kind that's not even tolerated among the pagans. 
not only is it sexual immorality, it is so bad that even non-Christians don't live this way. Even those without Jesus don't accept the behavior. Well, what is the behavior? He says, a man in your church has his father's wife. And the exact nature of the sin is twofold here. Number one, it's incest. This man was having an affair with his stepmother. And both Roman law and Jewish law viewed a relationship with a step-parent as incest. And then the second part is it's adultery. This man is having an affair with his father's wife. And even in the sex-crazed culture of the city of Corinth, a city known worldwide in the first century for the sin of sexual morality. In fact, there was a verb given. And they would say, you are Corinthianizing. And that means you are committing sexual immorality. It was a city that possessed thousands of temple prostitutes where sex was performed in the name of religion. It was a city where there was rampant homosexuality. There was even sex slavery. And even in the midst of all of this, People in the city say, whoa, that guy has crossed the line. And the reason that Paul addresses this and takes issue with what's happening is because God has a design for sexuality. Listen to the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 19, verses 5 through 6, reminding us of God's design from the very beginning. He's quoting from the Old Testament. He says, therefore, a man shall leave his father... And his mother, and hold fast to his wife, and the two should become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Jesus is quoting here from Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, the most foundational verse on sex and marriage in the Bible. And in light of the sinfulness of our hearts and the shifting cultural view on Sexuality, we must always go back to the Word of God. These words are not my words. These are not the words of First Baptist. These are the words of Jesus Christ through God Himself. And God is telling us that His design is one natural-born man and one natural-born woman for life in marriage. And this is our view of marriage here at First Baptist because this is what we believe the Bible teaches. In fact, we believe... This is what the Bible teaches and what the Christian church has taught for 2,000 plus years. It's not new. This is old school. So hear me clearly this evening. When Paul used the phrase in verse 1, sexual immorality, that's actually the Greek word porneia, from which you would be right. We get our English word pornography. It's an umbrella term that's used to refer to all sexual activity, all sexual activity outside of marriage. This means that all forms of sin, specifically for our discussion, sexual sins are against God's design. These sexual sins include pornography, adultery, polygamy, homosexuality, sex outside of marriage, rape, incest, sex slavery, and the list could go on. All of these things equally break God's design. One is not higher than the other, the Bible teaches that sex is a good gift from God that's to be enjoyed in a marriage between one man and one woman. So we must begin by addressing the subject with clarity. We must understand God has a clear design, according to the Bible, for sexuality. But number two, you must understand this, that our desires lean away 
from God's design. Point one, God has a design. But point two, our desires lean away from God's design. Again, going back to the words of Jesus, he had some really radical things to say in regards to sexual immorality. Perhaps his clearest words are found in Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 through 28, in his famous Sermon on the Mount. He says, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And the reason that Jesus says these things is because Jesus is all about the heart. He's not simply about your actions. So when we think about what it would be like to be with that coworker, that coworker that you exchange flirtatious jokes with and text messages and emails with, you are guilty of sexual immorality. When you see how far you can go with your boyfriend or your girlfriend without crossing the line and having sex, you're guilty of sexual immorality. When you lust over the ideal and the handsome and the perfect guy, or you lust over this, this person that's physically attractive to you, you're guilty of sexual immorality. When you lust after images on your phone or your computer or however you choose to do it, you are guilty of sexual immorality. And so we address the subject of sexuality with clarity, but we also have to address it with compassion. And what I mean by that is that we need to extend a bridge so that we can speak into the lives of those that are guilty of sexual immorality. We speak into their lives with clarity, but also with compassion. We don't lift up one sin as more egregious than another. I'll just choose one. The Bible is not fixated on homosexuality. In fact, homosexuality is mentioned in the same list of other sins. It's listed right alongside of the sins of greed, idolatry, stealing, and even, yes, dishonoring your parents. And so we need to understand that all of us have these desires within our hearts that lean away from God's design. We need to know that with clarity, but then we need to preach with compassion that all of these sins need to be equally addressed and that all people guilty of any of these sins need to be called to repentance and to faith in Jesus Christ and that Jesus Christ offers forgiveness for all people no matter the sin. Third idea this evening when it comes to God's design for sexuality is this. Counterfeit grace, fake grace, is no grace at all. Here's what I mean. In verse 2, Paul continues to address this man in the church in Corinth. He says this, And you are arrogant. Ought you rather to mourn? Let him be removed from among you, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. And there are two possible ways this church was being arrogant about this man's sin. One possibility is that they were arrogant about their grace. Uh, they were saying, look, our salvation is secure. They were making the Baptist statement, right? Once saved, always saved. They were saying things like, so then who are we to judge? Right, we all have our own sin. You know, God wants them to be happy. So it's 
okay. They're saying, well, our God's a loving God. He's a forgiving God. So we should love and forgive them too. They were arrogant about offering grace. It could have been, number two, that they were arrogant by ignoring it. They didn't want to come across as judgmental. It was not their place to address it. And so they just left it alone. But Paul, wanting to address this, we need to make sure that we get this right. His motives are pure. His motives are right. He is doing this so that he can save this guy from destruction. So he can save this guy from hell because this guy, claiming to be a Christian, is living a life completely open and unrepentant, contrary to what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And so because of his sin, Paul is concerned about his salvation. So Paul's saying, look, instead of accepting it or or, or shoving it under the rug, he says, confront it. Plead with this guy to repent and to trust Jesus. This means if you know somebody that is living out some form, any form of sexual immorality, homosexual lifestyle, living with a boyfriend or girlfriend without being married, addicted to pornography, having an affair, whatever it may be, you as a Christian have the responsibility, the obligation from the Lord to go to them compassionately, lovingly confronting them, sharing with them that what they are doing is sinful, revealing to them the dangers of their sin and calling them back to repentance and faith in Jesus. And hear me, I know it's unpopular. I know that it's not fun. People think that we are too harsh. People think that we are hypocritical. They think that we're being mean. They think that we're being hurtful. I mean, this is messy, and we never know the whole story. But we have to remember that we are members of the body of Christ. So if I commit adultery, if I cheat on my wife, Anna, you have the right, you have the obligation from Jesus to confront me to protect our church, to protect my wife, to protect my six children. And not to do that would be to hate Jesus, to hate his church, to hate my wife Anna, and to hate my children. And Paul tells us that we do this because we care about their soul. They are living in a way contrary to what it means to follow Jesus. We allow people to confront us because they care about us. This is the whole reason that we take sin so seriously, that we live like a family within the church. And so when someone is living within, living in unrepentant uh, and living out a habitual sinful lifestyle, well, no matter what kind of sexual sin it is, we need to call them out in a loving way to repentance because the way they are living is not becoming of a follower of Jesus. And God has given to us that responsibility. Fake grace is no grace at all. This leads us to point number four. The cross makes restoration possible. But you know, the problem with this is that the church has not always been a place of love. The church has not always been a place of grace for those struggling and dealing with the, with a, with the shame of a myriad of sexual sins and sexual temptations. So many people sit in our churches or they talk to families in our churches and because of our views, because of what we believe, they feel judged. They feel isolated. They, they feel unwelcomed by the church because of their temptations and because of their mistakes. Oftentimes that's on us. We don't preach on it in a way that's clarifying, in a way that's compassionate. Sometimes it's just the way they receive it. But the problem is this. If the gospel of Jesus is not good news for everyone, 
Meaning if not everyone can be forgiven, then it's not good news for anyone. This is why Paul is so clear later on in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9-11. through 11. After recording a long list of sins that once defined the members of the church in Corinth, he gives them good news. He says, look, these things define you. And he goes through sins. Boom, 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 boom. And then he says this, and such were some of you. This is how you were. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. The gospel of Jesus changes all who repent and receive it. Our sexuality does not define us. It's not our identity. The gospel of Jesus defines us. It is our identity. So no matter who you are, no matter your family, no matter what they're struggling with, no matter what the people you love are going through, the response that Jesus wants from you, the response that Jesus wants from them is repentance of sin and faith in His life, His death, and His resurrection. So whether you are addicted to pornography or you're sleeping around with people, living with a boyfriend or girlfriend, living a homosexual lifestyle, a habitual liar, harboring bitterness, a constant gossip, an addict, or someone with a terrible temper, for all of these sins, the response of Jesus, the response He commands is for all of us to repent and put our faith in Him. And so this means that through belief in Jesus, we can be made right with God. We are offered a fresh start to begin to live as God always meant us to live. This is the gospel message. And the gospel message is good news for all people. And then fifth and finally, this evening is a question. How can I redeem my sexuality? If you're not following God's design or you're trying to share with somebody how to follow God's design for their sexuality, how can you do that? How can they do that? Let me offer three quick points this morning. Three ways to redeem your sexuality. Number one, pray for healing. The message of Jesus is, not one of condemnation, instead it is one of compassion. Jesus says, Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, Come to me all who labor, all who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. God loves us so much that He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, into the world to carry our burdens, to take our place, to clean us up, to make us whole, and to unite us to Him forever by bearing our sin on the cross. Ask Jesus for the ability to accept the healing that He has given you through His cross and His resurrection. Number two, satisfy your passions faithfully. The Bible clearly teaches us that sexual temptation has been a human reality from the very beginning of time. Paul is teaching us that sexual drive and need is a real thing. And that drive and that need is to be satisfied within a covenant relationship of marriage. God designed marriage as the place for the expression of human sexuality. A marriage between a man and a woman for life. Sex within marriage has both relational and spiritual benefits. So we demonstrate self-control and then we aim to satisfy our sexual passions faithfully in the context of a biblical marriage. And then third, finally, third way to redeem your sexuality, love your spouse exclusively. We are to fight for exclusivity in our marriages by having sex with our spouse only. Desiring our spouse sexually only. Connecting with them emotionally 
only, never asking the question, you know, what would it be like to be married to, and you fill in the blank. Because once you are married, you can't ask that question. This is why we should never joke about the word divorce. Paul says that Satan wants to destroy your marriage, and one way he does it is by destroying your sex life. So Paul is telling us that we must work at having a passionate and a satisfying sex life. And this is a theme found in other places in the Bible. Do not see sex as a responsibility or as a dirty subject. See it as a good gift from God. I'll bring this subject to a close this evening with this. This is such a personal subject. The Bible describes the ministry of Jesus in Luke chapter 15 verse 1. By saying these incredible words, now the tax collectors and the sinners were all drawing near to Him. Why are these kinds of people in the Bible drawn to Jesus? The prostitutes, the adulterers, the thieves, the liars, the demon-possessed. Why are these quote-unquote worst of sinners all drawn to Him? Because they all felt loved. By him. One author says it this way. He says it wasn't because their behavior was affirmed. It was because their humanity was affirmed. This same author goes on to talk about an old Baptist pastor who once said this. People will gravitate to where they are loved. And if they don't find love in the church, they will go else. So if you are struggling with any kind of sexual immorality or any kind of gender confusion, if you have a family member or a friend that's struggling with any kind of sexual immorality or any kind of gender confusion, please hear me. We are going to preach with clarity what we believe the Bible teaches. At the same time, we're going to preach with compassion. We want you to know that we love you. We love them. We want them here. We want to have conversations with them. We want to walk through these burdens with them. And the answer for them, the healing for them is to repent of their sin and put their faith in Jesus and have brothers and sisters that can encourage them, that can challenge them, that can support them, that can help them bear that incredible burden, maybe a lifelong burden. Don't do it alone. Do it with the help of the church. You are not condemned. You are welcome. We want to bring you in. We want to lift you up to Jesus. May we be a church where it says, Now all the tax collectors and the sinners... We're drawing near to them. We as the church must go after all people. And this includes those that have been ravaged by the sexual revolution. We as the church, we are not a museum for saints. We are a hospital for the sick. We are here for those who need Jesus. I pray you've been encouraged by our first season of the All In Podcast. It's been so great to be with you every single week. We pray that you have a wonderful, wonderful summer, and we look forward to seeing you back in the fall on the All In Podcast. God bless you.